my show. A, there it is. All right. Morning, guys. Uh, before I get going, uh, another order of business. Um, we do worship at the end. New uh, guidelines say that we are not actually allowed to sing congregationally at this time, which is weird and hard. Um, so we're going to try to pivot a bit. Um, we still, uh, Dusty and I met this week, and even though we want to respect that, obviously, and we want to stay open if we can, and so we're going to honor that. Um, we value a time of music where we can at least reflect and hear from the Holy Spirit. So, morning, guys. So at the end, um, we're going to try something a little different today, and Annette's going to come up and play music um, instrumentally, and I'm going to lead us in kind of more of a reflective, I'm going to read some scripture, um, almost like a quiet time, but together. Um, and then Annette is going to uh, sing a final song to kind of send us out. Um, again, uh, the state expectation is that you guys aren't singing. We can have one singer, basically. And so um, Dusty wanted me to let you know he's not going to go around and be listening to see if you are secretly singing or anything like that. But just uh, so it's not like uh, there's going to be like a, an enforcer going around, but also trying to respect and honor that as well. So um, so worship will be different today and, in, and for the foreseeable future until things change. So sorry about that. I'm a worship guy, so I totally, totally get how odd that will be. But we also know that the Holy Spirit does stuff um, and works with whatever, uh, whatever is in front of us. So I'm kind of hopeful that God will still do stuff with what we're trying. So anyway, um, so let's jump into the teaching. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and pray. Um, I know Dave did a little prayer, but I always like to pray so that I don't say anything stupid, because I will say something stupid, but... Uh, I like to pray so I don't say too much of it. So, uh, God, I just ask for wisdom today. Um, I pray that you would fill the things that um, I think you've given me to share uh, with your spirit. I pray that um, anything that is truth and is you would stick with us. Anything that is silly uh, and dumb Ryan stuff would fall away. Um, I just pray that, that we'd be left with um, just your presence and feeling closer to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so starting off stupid. Uh, so we've been talking about uh, the spiritual disciplines uh, over the last few uh, weeks. Dusty's talked about simplicity and solitude, uh, meditation and prayer, celebration and worship was last week, um, which was quite fitting since we're now we're not allowed to quite do worship the way we usually do. Um, so I get to finish off the series, um, and I'm really excited because um, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite spiritual disciplines, and also one that I think is really, really, really important. Um, I know that it's not a competition, and Dusty has done a fabulous job, but my, my spiritual discipline I'm going to share is the best spiritual discipline. I'm just going to say it right now. Uh, so, so, aha, I get to finish this off. Um, so, uh, not, not to spend too much time on it, because I want to get into it, but I thought I should give an appeal to the disciplines in general, since it's our last week. Um, if you're like me, or I know all of you guys are like this, we, we hear sermons, we're like, oh, that was good, we go home, and you can't even remember what was talked about, you know, so I would hate for us to go into the Advent season, Christmas is starting uh, next week, uh, and like kind of just leave behind this idea of, oh yeah, the disciplines are cool, I'm glad we talked about that, 
and not hold on to something from what we've talked about for the last month. The disciplines are obviously a part of Christian DNA. It's something that um, not only do people like Richard Foster, who um, is Dusty's kind of guy, he's been sharing from the celebration of discipline. That's more modern, but there's something that the church has done from the get-go. It's just part of who we are. Um, But to be honest, I personally have really struggled with spiritual disciplines. Even the term discipline just sounds so like Arnold, like you lack discipline. Um, And I didn't see a lot of value in them until a few years ago when I started trying them, kind of by the Holy Spirit's prompting. Like I felt like God's like, why don't you just try them instead of judging them? Um, And I found them to be like the most valuable thing I've done as a a Christian, um, trying to do kind of regular disciplines or exercises is another way to think of them, um, has been really, really valuable. Um, I think part of the reason I didn't want to do them, and maybe as we hear them, we think, oh, like those sound okay, um, but are they really that important? They, they almost can be taken as like a thing that Christians just do. Like there are things that Christians just do, right? And some of us are like, why do we even do that? Uh, for example, and this is no judgment because maybe I'm the only person, but um, if you hold hands when you pray for dinner, that's, that's very sweet, and I love that. Um, I didn't grow up in a house that really did that, and so I don't know if anybody is like me. You've been sitting around a dinner table, and someone like raises their hands, and you're like, oh, we're doing this, and everybody has to like take hands and pray. I know that's such a normal Christian thing, but it's like one of those things that Christians just do, but is it like in the Bible? Is it something really that important? Um, and for me personally, I'm like, I don't want to just do things because. Um, but I think it's because I was looking at the disciplines like that. Like, it's just what good Christians do. Um, I didn't see their value. But the truth is, is they're not just things that good Christians do. Good Christians don't just find time for silence. Good Christians don't just memorize scripture. Good Christians don't just fast. Uh, personally, I'm not going to go into fasting. It's not my favorite. Uh, but if you guys like to fast, does anybody here fast often? Oh, look at that. Dusty, get out of here. That's because you're the pastor. You have to, you have to fast. Uh, that's my least favorite discipline, honestly. Um, but I think it's this idea of like, it's what good Christians do, which even that, that sentiment of like good Christians is misleading, right? It's not really about good. Disciplines don't make us holy or better. They make us healthy. And I think uh, for me, instead of the, even the word discipline, using the word exercise um, is so, so much more descriptive, right? Like, um, it's not that good Christians do these things. It's that Christians who find time for silence typically can hear God better because they're giving space to it. Christians who memorize scripture have God's word kind of in their head and heart. Christians who fast are hungry. So, that was a joke. But the disciplines are like exercise, right? Sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes you don't want to do push-ups or whatever it is. Sometimes you don't want to eat healthy. But you know that by doing it, it makes it keeps you in tune. It keeps you in shape. And so um, my appeal for the disciplines is don't lose these because these are things that can keep us healthy. And the whole point of them is to keep us close to God, to, to make, um, make space, uh, create conditions um, that we, we can know God better. Um, so today, I would like to finally get into my favorite discipline, uh, the most important, reading the Gospels. 
And Dusty can argue with this, but he's wrong. It is the most important. So reading the Gospels, um, there, are, there are four of them. There's Mar Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, everybody's favorite. So uh, if you don't know, don't know them, there are four, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, actually, Luke could be also Mark, Mark Hamill. I, that's too deep. Never mind. Moving on. Okay, so the, the four Gospels, this is what we're talking about here. Now, God's people have always, from the get-go, Israel, before like the church, before Jesus came, have always kept Scripture front and center. I mean, um, Jewish festivals and their meetings, there are prescribed readings to those. More traditional churches than ours um, have prescribed readings. Like, you know that um, on April, the week of April 3rd, we're going to be reading these scriptures. It's scheduled out. And the idea of that, which we don't really do in our, our stream of Christianity because we're a little more, uh, perhaps a little more uh, loosey-goosey in that way, but the point of that is that the, the, the idea of keeping Scripture in front of us constantly and recurringly keeps us grounded. It, it keeps us um, healthy because we can see the big picture of God and we don't neglect any of it. Um, and so I think all of Scripture is good for that, but I'd like to focus in on why the Gospels in particular are something that we should be continually, maybe daily, if not for close to that, um, but regularly in reading um, and why they keep us healthy. Um, so we have to start with why, gospel, why the Gospels in particular. So um, this dude is Carl Medieris. He's one of my favorite writers. Uh, he's a little irreverent. Um, but I'm going to read a passage from his book. Um, he talked exactly about this, about why the Gospels, um, even more so than maybe the rest of Scripture. Uh, so he says in his book, Speaking of Jesus, which I think I've read in the past during a sermon. Um, hopefully I didn't read this part. I don't think I did. Uh, he says, I grew up reading a lot about a lot of the Old Testament and a lot of Paul. And Paul is the guy that wrote most of the New Testament, but not the Gospels. Uh, for some reason, the Gospels felt like the background story to the good stuff. You know, Hebrews and Romans and Galatians and then Revelation when you were mega mature. So I didn't spend a lot of time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When I did, it was mostly in John. The synoptic gospels, or the first three, didn't have much theology in them, just stories of what Jesus was doing, and parables that were odd and confusing. Of course, we needed the gospels to let us know he died and rose again, so we could understand more of the good stuff like justification, atonement, salvation, redemption. But I never had much time for the Gospels. Seems funny looking back. All of the Bible is helpful, but it is a signpost to the ultimate word of God, Jesus Christ. We do not follow the Bible. We don't worship the Bible. We love it because it directs us towards the one who is everything. So while all of the Bible is God's word, it is not all, and this might be controversial, so, but it is not all equal in weight. Is Matthew more important to know than Numbers, one of the early first books in the Old Testament? Yes. Numbers has its place, and it's part of the story, and, uh, uh, and it's from God's spirit, 
but that doesn't mean it carries the same weight of importance that Matthew does. Now, that could be arguable, but I think the point that Carl's making is that Jesus is kind of like a black hole. And what I mean by that is that if you just read the Old Testament, I think from your guys' perspective, it should be over here, um, and don't take Jesus into account, you have a picture of God, the story of Israel, but you, you see all of the promises, all of the prophecy, all, they're like waiting for this Messiah. But if you take Jesus out of that, you only have so much of a picture of God. Um, it requires Jesus who came, who fulfilled the Old Testament, and all the things that, the, that Israel is waiting for, to like read back into the Old Testament. And so Jesus becomes a center point where if you're reading the Old Testament, you almost have to read back through his lens, through like, oh, Jesus changed everything. So that would even change the way that we would look at the Old Testament. Same thing going further, right? He said he liked to spend a lot of time in Paul, like in Romans and all those really theologically dense books. Um, a, lot of, a lot of Christians are really into Revelation too. If you've ever read it, it's, it's really hard. Uh, some, some Christians spend their whole life just focusing on the end times, right? And not to knock any of that, but if we are reading those things without a very clear understanding of who Jesus is, then we could get a little off. If you spend all of your time, I'm just going to say this, if you spend all of your time in Revelation and don't filter it through the person of Jesus— you're going to go kind of weird. I'm just going to be straight up. So Jesus is kind of like this focal point that he brings the New Testament back to him, the Old Testament to him, and he, he is like our starting point to understand the rest of Scripture. Um, so that is why I would say the Gospels are the most important place to read. Um, one second, let me make sure I don't lose my thing here. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John— are where we read and see who Jesus is. There really is no other place. Maybe a little bit in Acts, which is kind of like Luke part two anyway. Um, but if we want to see who Jesus is, we have to go to the Gospels. Um, so this might be a really, really stupid question. It is a stupid question to ask out loud, but why, why is it really that important to even know Jesus well? Why do we need to know Jesus more than, well, he died for my sins and he resurrected, and he made everything better. Why do we need to know him more than that, more intimately? Um, and honestly, I've kind of struggled with this myself. Um, I've grown, I grew up in charismatic churches. Um, being you're just charismatic, in case you didn't know that, which just means that we believe the Holy Spirit moves and and it does stuff, right? Uh, we talk a lot about God's presence. Worship is kind of often all about that. That's a comfortable place for me to resonate with God. There's something tangible to it, right? Like, if you've experienced God's presence, you can say, I, like, I felt God. Um, and a few years ago, maybe longer than that, I kind of came to a place where I was really comfortable with the idea of God as my father. Um, in fact, that's probably my most common lens. When I think of God, I, I think of his being his kid and that he's a good father. And I know that not everybody sees God. We all see God in different ways. But for me, those are comfort places. But I've struggled with Jesus because kind of like Carl said, I get Jesus, but it's kind of, it almost feels like, well, he did all that stuff 2,000 years ago so that now I can have the Holy Spirit. Now I can know the Father. And at least speaking for myself, sometimes he I've had a harder time kind of connecting with him on that, that intimate level. Um, but I, 
I, I realize this, and I've been praying actually over the last few years, like, Jesus, like, show me how to connect to you more. Show me what I'm missing. And I, I think the thing that has come up is, is this. Jesus reveals his Father. He is the literal picture of God. And that sounds like a no-duh. I know it's a no-duh, but it's really profound. And I think it has ramifications for how we relate to God, how we, um, how we approach God, how we approach life. Um, and so I'd like to read uh, John 14, 6 through 8. This is Jesus actually talking. And he, he answered his disciples. He was talking about some stuff. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Philip was one of his disciples, uh, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Um, and I, I kind of imagine Jesus like, I just told you. Uh, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? I have been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father? Don't you believe that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. The Father lives in me. He is the one who is doing his work. Believe me when I say I am in the Father. Also believe that the Father is in me. Or at least believe what, what the works I have been doing say about me. So Jesus himself makes clear, like, if you see me, you can see a reflection of what God the Father, the unknowable God, that we, the invisible God, what, what he's like. Um, this is really, really profound to me anyway, because often our views of God, at least for me in the abstract, we think of God as big and out there and mysterious, and he is those things. But Jesus is the place where we can pull it in and go, okay, but he's, he's literally showing us God's heart, God's personality even. Um, uh, as we read the Gospels, we see what kind of person Jesus is, right? He's radical. Like, he comes in and he doesn't follow any of the rules. He does what he wants to do, which is what got him killed, because all of the religious leaders were like, hey, we do it this way. And he's like, yeah, no, I'm going to do it this way. Um, he, he went against the grain. Jesus is crazy intelligent, which... I don't know if people, I don't know about you, but like this traditional view of God, I don't know if we always think of God as smart. We think of him as serious and righteous and holy, but like the idea of God being like, like literally like mentally a genius is really comforting to me. Like the God I serve is smart. Jesus is even like, I would say crafty at times, right? Like, like they're trying to catch him in something or, or, or trip him up. And he's like, he's smart enough to like know what they're doing. Just kind of like sidestep the conversation or flip it back on them. Jesus reveals a God that's intelligent. He's funny. There's things in the script, even the one we just read, where he's like, ah. Like, he tells his disciples something, and they're like, what do you mean? And he's like, ah, oh, let me say it again. Like, Jesus reveals a God who's funny, kind. Every time someone's sin is in front of Jesus, instead of being like what we would maybe expect, or the Israelites would expect of God, and even today what we expect of God a lot of time, times he extends grace to people he's like yeah you're forgiven don't go and don't don't sin anymore but uh, jesus reveals a god who's kind subversive and human which um you know jesus wept everybody's favorite memory verse because it's short 
is like one of the most profound verses to me because even though he's God and he knows what's going to happen, he, he's touched by the emotions and the hurt of the people he loves. So as we read the Gospels, we see what kind of person Jesus is. And if he is an exact reflection of who the Father is, then we can apply these things to God himself, right? Um, sorry, guys. When we think of God, when we pray, he is mysterious and unknowable in so many ways, right? But he is also Jesus. When we think of God, we would do better, I think, to first start with Jesus, his character, his personality, uh, his words, his actions. These are a picture of a God that we can actually wrap our minds around, right? And then as we're reading the Gospels, as we're digging in, I think that we can even let um, him to wrap around us, right? He renews our minds. He, he, he kind of puts in us this understanding of who he is. Um, um, a picture of God minus a clear understanding of Jesus is wrong. Just straight, straight up. If, if we see God and it is missing something from Jesus, it's wrong. Or maybe more graciously, it's a little off. Um, the point of the spiritual disciplines is to know God, right? To be close to him, uh, to get and stay healthy. It's not about being good, being perfect, being righteous. It's about being healthier, being closer to God. Uh, we change, we become more godly in light of knowing him. When we know him, we can judge our own actions, right? We can like see how life works or how it should work. We can discern situations. Uh, we can make decisions about how we live our lives. If we know him, we are able to love our friends and family better. We are able to love those people that drive us crazy even. It's through knowing him that we, we understand how to live our lives. Um, again, it's not about being good. Like all of the d disciplines, reading the Gospels is about being healthy. Um, N.T. Wright would even say it's about being fully human. Jesus reveals to us what it is to be like human in the way that God created us to be. Um, I recently had a conversation about this. Well, I didn't have a conversation about this, but it led to this. Um, I had a conversation with my daughter recently, and we were talking about um, the difference, especially right now, between Christians, um, how I believe and love the Jesus, you believe and love Jesus, you believe and love Jesus, and yet, it's 2020, right? There's so much division right now within the church but among believers. And, and my daughter's only in fifth grade, but she's aware of that. And she's like, why, why is that? Why, are, why do we or you think this? Why does this person think this? this per why is there so much division? She didn't use that word, but that's kind of what she was asking about, which I thought was pretty um, uh, reflective of her. Um, I don't know exactly why. But my hunch is that it has at least something to do with our view of God. Um, James Bryan Smith, I'm name dropping a lot of people here that you probably don't even care about, but uh, Richard Foster, the guy that wrote The Celebration of Discipline, which is Dusty's like, favorite dude that we're all talking about, um, his apprentice is James Bryan Smith. Uh, he was the guy that he kind of trained up. And he wrote a, a series called The Good and Beautiful God series. Excellent. You should all read it. You should read the Gospels first, but then you should read the Good and Beautiful God series. Um, he talks about this idea of 
narratives or ideas about God. And that a lot of where we go wrong is that we have a false narrative or a false idea in our brains about who God is. Um, And his remedy is to understand God through the lens of Jesus, to understand what does Jesus say about the Father? What what does uh, Jesus reflect about the nature of God? And if we can get that, which you have to go to the Gospels for, if we can get that under our skins and our brains, then a lot of things kind of correct. Um, He says in, in that book that the most predominant image of God among Christians today is that God is mad. God is angry. This isn't just like, oh, that church over here. He said most Christians have at least some, I, for re- whatever reason, idea that God is a little ticked off and he wants to like destroy sin for sure, but maybe punish people that are sinners. Um, I know for myself that this is something that I've struggled with. I mean, even uh, this last month, I remember I was process- processing something with God and there was just something in me like, if I don't take care of this, God's going to not do this, but hopefully not. But uh, he's going to be mad at me. He's going he's gonna to take away his hand of blessing, all these whatever we put on, on God. Um, but Smith says that this is a predominant view of, of God for Christians, that he's, if not super mad all the time, he's a little bit mad, and he's like, he's kind of fed up. He's going to start, you know, kicking butt. But if you read the Gospels and deeply and recurringly and you see who Jesus is, that's just not the God that is revealed in Jesus. Yes, there are times when Jesus gets mad. And people love to use that as an example, like when he makes a whip and clears out the temple. Uh, <laughs> but most of the time, almost the, the, the majority of the time, Jesus shows a God that is like, like startlingly merciful. Um, and so... Going back to why is there so much division? Why, I, I wonder, and I don't mean this to say those people are wrong and I'm right. Me too. But I wonder if the reason that we get off and there's so much division and so much diversity in how we view the world and, and it doesn't seem to gel up is because we're forgetting to go back to Jesus to see um, what God's heart is. Uh, I know for myself, I've going to be straight up honest, I've been pretty angry this year about a lot of different things. Um, and I have times where I convince myself it's a righteous anger. Um, man, that person is doing that, and that is so stupid, and I just like almost hate them. Um, but I'm like justified because it is so heinous. Or, man, these people believe that. That's ridiculous. I, I've been angry a lot. Um, and when I tell myself it's like, well, it's they're wrong. They, they deserve my, and not that I go say anything to them because I'm too, of a chi- too much of a chicken to do that. But, uh, but I like in my head create this idea like it's righteous anger. Uh, and I've had a number of times where I felt like the Holy Spirit is like, hmm, that, that is not Jesus. Jesus wasn't always like, you are, you're doing something wrong and I'm so mad at you. And so it was, it's because I hadn't been viewing things through, through a Jesus lens. Um, and then, and we often, we take our emotions and we apply it to God, right? I'm mad. God must be mad. He's on my side. Um, so I, I think that reading the gospels, knowing Jesus well, keeps us or safeguards us from this kind of stuff.
where we go off on these tangents. Um, so with that said, this is like going to be a quick service. I know you guys are sad about that. Uh, so here are a few pointers. These are some practical things. Um, the first one is, is another no duh. It is just read like the gospels, like literally pick up a Bible and start wherever. Um, I, I would suggest starting in Matthew because there's four of them and you're going to read them all eventually. So maybe just start in Matthew one and just read through, um, there, uh, you can't really go wrong with that. Uh, they're all a little bit different. They all have kind of a different purpose because they're written by a different, different person. Um, but just, just get into it. Um, and, and read regularly. Um, I try to read a chapter a day myself. Um, if you listen to really holy spiritual type people, they'll say, oh, you should sit and read a whole gospel in one sitting. I maybe have done that once ever in my life. That is a big undertaking. So you're not hearing me say that, but if you, if you could do that, cool. Um, but the idea of just getting in and reading is the first step, which is no duh. But as we read, we need to remember that the Gospels are stories. Um, so, so as I'm talking about reading the Gospels, um, you, you might be familiar with like taking a, um, a certain verse, right? Like I'm going to take, I'm just make a random one, Luke 6, 8. And you read it and you think about it and you pray. And that, that's more of like a devotional reading. And you can do that with any scripture. And that's actually discipline in itself. Um, but that's not what I'm talking about um, because that's more using scripture as a tool to kind of center ourselves on, on God. Um, I'm encouraging us to read the Gospels as the story that we can see the see Jesus through, and so they were written a story. They were written to be to be read in big chunks um, because you wouldn't go to a, like a novel and crack it open, read a page, and say, "Oh, that's good." You usually start at chapter one and you go through. Um, so reading the Gospels in kind of the way they were intended to be read um, gives us a full view of Jesus uh, and seeking to understand. Um, the hard thing is that sometimes Jesus says weird stuff. Uh, he, you know, at one point he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Um, now, most of us are like, I don't think he actually meant cut off your hand. So he must be exaggerating. Um, I'm sure there's some people that have gone there in their brains and, and I don't know, I don't even want to think about it, but uh, have taken that as literal but that, that's the hard thing. There are, there are things within the gospel that are hard. Jesus says hard stuff. In fact, the gospels say this. Uh, in John 6, Jesus said to them, what I'm about to tell you is true. You must eat the son of man's body and drink his blood. If you don't, you have no life in you. Anyone who eats my body and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day. My body is real food. My blood is real drink. Anyone who eats my body and drinks my blood remains in me, and I remain in them. The living Father sent me, and I live because of him. In the same way, those who feed on me will live because of me. Today, we as Christians know he's referring to communion, right? We take communion in remembrance of what Christ has done. We realize that he is saying something, alluding towards something. He's not literally talking about like 
you know, eating and drinking his like physical body and blood. He's alluding to something. But he didn't say that to those people. To the people he said this to, he said it plain. It sounds nasty, what he's saying. In fact, it says in the Gospels, this is what their response was. Uh, oh, Jesus said a little bit more. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Long ago, your people ate manna and died, but whoever eats this bread will live forever. He said this while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Jesus' disciples heard this, and many of them said, this is our teaching. Who can accept it? Jesus often said things that were hard. Um, in fact, after this, a lot of them left. They're like, this is just too weird for me. And they ditched him. Not his 12 disciples, but like his other dis disciples. Um, and so we have to acknowledge that as we read the Gospels, we are trying to get the big picture of who Jesus is so we can understand God more, so we can be closer to him. Um, but there are times where we're going to come against things that are tricky. This one's a little less tricky because of, you know, hindsight. Um, but I, I would say with that, um, part, part of reading the Gospels, sometimes we need to seek to understand. And that might mean doing a little bit of study. I my per personally, um, in the past, when something is hard in the Bible, I just kind of ignore it and keep going because, yeah, whatever. And some people can totally hold that tension. But myself, if I ignore things too many times eventually they become this frustrating thing and so um i would suggest maybe checking out commentaries uh you don't have, you can even find them online be careful because not all commentaries are equal like i said there are people that have vastly different ideas about who god is but um this isn't just something for academics or pastors i think the idea of sometimes when jesus doesn't make sense or scripture doesn't make sense we have to seek to understand. Um, and with that, we have to stay humble. Uh, I've been listening to a podcast by N.T. Wright. He's a, he's a stud. Uh, one of the, like, the preeminent scholar, Christian scholars of our day. And the, it's a podcast where people ask him any question. And he will often, it'll be a hard, like a hard passage. And he'll be like, well, I think this, but it could be this. I'm like, what? Like, you are like the most schooled person on the New Testament. He like translated. How do, you, how do you not have a perfect answer? So I think the ability to stay humble and that we try to understand God the best we can as we read, um, but have to acknowledge there is going to be some places where we just have to have a little mystery. It is okay. Um, and then the last one I think maybe the most important is we listen to the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus says. I have much more to say to you. It is more than you can handle right now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And, when, when, uh, and he will tell you what is still going to happen. He will bring me glory. That's because what he receives from me, he will show to you. Everything that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said that the Holy Spirit receives from me what the Spirit receives from me, he will show to you. So even, and we find this in the Gospels, again, um, if we look at Jesus and know him well, we can see what God is like. And when we know God well, um, we're healthier, right? Um, and even the Holy Spirit, the third person within the Godhead, he himself reveals Jesus. It says he will, he will bring us back to an understanding of Jesus. He'll point the way. Um, so uh, listening to the Spirit as we read the Gospels, I think, is really vital as well.
It's not just a head thing. There's something that God does in our hearts as we read it. Um, so I want to try this out. Uh, so Annette's going to come up. And like I said, we're not going to sing songs like normal. Um, so instead, uh, I'm going to let I'm going to let Annette kind of play for a minute or two. Um, I'd like us to maybe just kind of quiet our hearts, um, kind of with maybe even have some expectation that God is going to speak, even though this is different. Um, and then I'm going to read a passage from a gospel. I was pretty John-heavy throughout that entire sermon, so I purposefully chose something from a different gospel. Um, but I, I just want to try this out. So, so 